Mama Speaks is a fundamentalist Christian church. Founder and pastor, Carl Stevens. He intimidates you from the pulpit. Don't you say a sentence, not a sentence, not a line. Don't presume or you'll die. How much did you give? Oh, about seven million. All the messages of Pastor Stephen. I was guaranteed that angels would come every time I preach. That's the truth. It's just lie after lie. They're trying to divide us from each other, but they're not going to do it as long as I'm pastor, because I know how to handle them, because I'm God's man. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? You can't answer, but we still want to know. <laughs> Welcome back to Children of Grace podcast. I'm Karen. I'm Alita. We are your hosts. <laughs> uh, trigger warning for religious abuse and spiritual abuse and apparently exorcisms. <laughs> but we're here to talk about The Bible Speaks, how it started in South Berwick. It's been a minute since our last history episode. Yeah. This took us a minute to research because... Um, Karen and I were discussing the fact that South Berwick seems to have been incredibly pivotal mm -hmm. to the expansion, shall we say, of the ministry. And yet, by and large, when you go to research the church, when you like look at articles, when you look at um, things that are out there, by and large, it's a footnote. Yep. Which is very interesting considering all the things that came out of South Berwick that you keep that there's not as much information out there about it as there is pretty much every other location and i don't think that's an accident we're going to get into it but i think there were some things that carl didn't really want out there about his time in south berwick so yeah. and we might even talk about south berwick itself too um it's actually a really great place um and i actually feel bad for the town that it has any kind of connection <laughs> to this yeah. map because it's a great place to, to live and to raise your kids it is really nice. Um, and the building itself, the one that he bought initially, had been an inn and a tavern for a long time. And actually the only murder for a long time that had happened in South Berwick, the murderer was brought there to the basement. Because that was the only place that there was. Almost appropriate. <laughs> and then it became a monastery, right? Well, I, I think it was, I don't think it was a monastery. I think it was actually a um, convent. It depends on who you ask, because I found both. I, I, I would think it would have to be the convent because it actually was tied to the Catholic church community. The town hall in church in a town was also tied to the Catholic church. I believe it might have been a boys' school. Um, I do know where we grew up. The building we grew up in was the convent. Yeah, that's where the nuns stayed, which is, it's so funny. I actually went to this um, this thing in town the other day, and I told the people that were there. It's a craft fair. I told people that were at that building that I had lived there, and they're like, what? You're too young to be a nun. And I was like, that's way back. What are you talking about? That's like, no, I'm dead. You're too young to be a nun. Ma'am, got your dates mixed up. I hope it wasn't the same person that thought I was your mother. No, but that was funny too. That was a good day. <laughs> that was a good day. That was a very good day. I don't know if that means that I look young or you look old or both. But like either way. I don't know. What? I don't know. Okay. I do enjoy telling people that I grew up in a convent because the reactions are usually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, they that are cult and either way people are like, what? <laughs> I mean, for all intents and purposes, the strict way we were brought up. Pretty close. Maybe not quite as strict as a convent per se, but, but pretty close. <laughs> we were supposed to be chaste and 
pure and be happy little little Christian babies. So I guess do what we were told. I don't know, man. Don't question authority. I am gonna bring up in this uh, this whole thing something called um, a close look at the Bible speaks world outreach, which was written in 1981 by the Christian Research Institute. Um, Carl asked them to make this because he thought it would prove that they weren't a cult, and initially it did. When they dug a little deeper, it proved that they were. Um, but I did take some excerpts from that, and we'll probably get into the whole report later on. But I do think that report in of itself probably deserves its own episode because it is quite lengthy and quite detailed. Yes, uh, it quite lengthy. I still haven't read the whole thing, and it's been months. Me either. Um, but, but I did take little pieces that were important to this, so that's going to come up. Okay. Um, I had some news articles to go through. Same. I think some of our articles might be the same, but that's okay. Oh, probably. My favorite part in all of this, though, is while researching the Bible Speaks South Berwick, I found I found this little tiny piece from the Palm Beach Post, which was made in 1986, but it says, The Bible Speaks, according to published reports, was founded in South Berwick, Maine in 1973 by Stevens, a fast-talking, scripture-quoting preacher who wears a strawberry blonde toupee. I mean, accurate? <laughs> so funny, though. Did he wear a toupee? I thought it was like hair plugs or something. It definitely was not his own hair. Okay. There's actually, I in my research and act, and as well as an email we received from a listener, there are a couple photos of him now that I've seen before he had that on. Okay. Of his actual, I want to say it looks like maybe he had some early balding looking at those photos. I could be wrong, but it kind of looks like that. And I'm not sure if it was a toupee or for it was sewn on hair like there's there seems to be a little bit of you mean something about Carver's thing dual information on that I mean it really kind of doesn't matter at the end of the day it wasn't his own hair and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that no 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 that just made me smile and laugh <laughs> I thought it was a funny way to introduce the whole thing it, it is a very interesting way to introduce the whole thing especially given <laughs> I'm sure what that article was about because I bet I know what it was about I bet you do <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> this it's going to take a while for us to get through the history of all of this, and I hope you guys don't mind that we're kind of breaking it up, but it's just, like, very dense and a lot. Especially when you get to certain locations, like the next couple locations that we're going to have to get to are probably going to have to be one or two episodes because you have to focus on the location itself and what was going on there and then the events that transpired at that location, which were also enormous. I really feel like Lennox is going to take three. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see when we get there, but... It's going to be a, it's going to be some time, but like, bear with us, please. Yeah. We love you. So South Berwick, I think part of the issue with South Berwick too, is he was not here very long. No, he was here from 1973 to 1976. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have this laid out from like year to year ish, because there wasn't much out there. And then some like undated things that I thought were really interesting. I cannot remember if we published the episode yet, but one of the episodes that we have recorded, I had asked the question about the money. Mm-hmm. Because sure did. it is a very large property. If you've never been to here or if you've never seen photos of it, it it's a very large property. It's actually now split into two and it's owned by two different groups, which should tell you right then and there how, how big it is. But there's quite a bit of acreage there and there was quite a bit of building space there. So even for the time that he bought it, 72, 73 timeframe, it would have been worth quite a bit of money in those days. And I did find in one of the articles I was looking at, which was from 1976 from the Berkshire Eagle. Okay. Uh, let me just... Is it the one that I found? I'm so curious. It probably is. I just want to focus in a little. So they had a... 
a lot of this information comes from a book that's no longer in print called The Book of Miracles that was published by The Bible Speaks. And in The Book of Miracles, they say that the ministry had only $87 in a bank account when it moved to South Berwick, that they had two large donations that totaled $62,000, and they secured a $100,000 mortgage to purchase the property. Now, here's what I don't understand. I don't understand when you get a mortgage, having that amount of money for the down payment certainly is a huge deal. However, you still have to be able to prove regular income to sign a mortgage. And back, you know, $100,000 now is no big deal. You know, it's a, a property like that property probably is worth over a million dollars easily. But $100,000 back then was a big mortgage. So I'm very curious as to how they were able to prove income yeah. Enough to support the bank securing that mortgage. Well, I don't know if you caught it, but I think it's the same article. The group claimed that it receives over $750,000 annually in contributions during that time. Yes, which is interesting. So that's a lot of money. It's in But here's the thing. First of all, those are contributions. Those are not regular income. Like when you look at a bank and what they look at... <sighs> Contributions like that. Yeah, they also mentioned that they have reconciled some 500 homes in six years, which is interesting because he claimed that he never had people sell their homes for him, but he definitely did. Right. And when you're talking about contributions supporting your organization, that's not really secure income. Because contributions go away. You know what I mean? Oh, they can. Yeah. But if you have that much money in a bank account, I'm sure the bank would be like, sure. You know, and they were charging room and board. Room and board. Um, yep. I, that was actually very interesting. $32 a week for room and board was the figure that was quoted. And 300 per semester for tuition as well. Tuition. But here's the interesting part. And this is, I'm very curious. And I, it, there's probably no way of ever finding this out. But I'm curious. They would have had to, I guess, release their financials to the bank or show their financials to the bank. Mm -hmm. But when the reporter asked yeah. for the financial records to prove, Carl said he would only release the records to the reporter if the reporter promised not to print any of the information. And the reporter said, absolutely not. There's your flag. Uh -huh. And also that same report mentioned that he only had $87 in a bank account. There's got to be some offshore stuff happening here. I don't. Well, I don't. Was that even a thing back in the 70s? I think it was for those who had the funds. I guess. Uh, I mean, there is corporate fraud happening in the 70s, too. But also, you'd have to be able, again, if you have it in an offshore account, you'd have to be able to prove that toward the bank being able to say, okay, you're worth the risk of a $100,000 loan. Well, I guess you wouldn't have to put it offshore if you're a church, though, because you don't get taxed anyway. So why would it matter? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to any of this. I just think that it's very, very interesting that he gets all this money. And then he's like, oh, but people are just the Lord's providing and people don't sell their homes for me. Yes, they do. Cool. He, well, he is providing by people selling their homes. <laughs> when you, you tell them to do that. Like there are, I can say that for sure, because there are multiple people who literally did that who are on, on record. film record. Yeah. On TV, vetted and out there. Uh, it happened. So as a side note, you know, here's your red flag. Here's one. If you are in any kind of organization, be it religious, be it secular, no matter how charitable they are or how much good they do, if they will not be honest with their books, mm -mm. with their financials, and if they will not provide that on demand, there's your red flag. Oh, yeah. Because if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to hide. I wonder... 
There's probably literally no way for us to get this, but I'd be so interested to see Carl's tax returns. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, yeah, I'm really like the whole money thing just, just flummoxes me because even with all these figures, like something just, it doesn't make sense. Well, no, it was shady money. It doesn't make sense. And then they turn around, they buy it in 73, they turn around probably just under three years later and they sign a nearly million dollar purchase of the Lennox property. Well, because while they were at the Bible Speaks, they were having more and more people. So part of the, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that because we're going to get there. I have a whole thing. I have like I the money. The money is a rabbit hole we could be in for a while. <laughs> you know, in um, no one always sunny in Philadelphia where like the guy has the Pepe Sylvia thing going on and he has like all the things combined and he's like freaking out, but it's really just Pennsylvania. What? That's me right now with these documents. I'm like a crazy person with all these things that all connect. <laughs> it's like, but it's really just um, a sweet talking preacher with the blonde toupee <laughs> at the end of the day it is that's the pennsylvania that's what it is okay so so 73 the church moves now interesting there's a little piece in between woolwich and south berwick that that when carl left the woolwich church he was in bath which isn't too far from woolwich for a little bit and people followed him to bath and then they rented i believe a hotel space in portland while they were looking for a new space which again not to harp on it, costs money. Well, I did find out, too, um, from someone who was there, that the person who kept the Woolwich was Catholic Church when that original church split was actually Carl's son-in-law. Interesting. So I don't know exactly what happened there, but there was a split, and his son-in-law stayed, I'm assuming, with his daughter, and he left with his people. So that's yeah, that's interesting. And somewhere in there, too, somewhere between Woolwich and Lennox, one of his other sons also left. Shocking. Uh and he also, he had established Northeast School of the Bible in 1972, but he changed it to Stephen's School of the Bible when he moved to South Berwick. So he changed his names. It seems like a lot. Um, but this is the first time we have it, like, documented. So South Berwick, they move him in. It sounds like they have the place packed out, like, they're packed in there with sardines from everything I've read and the stories we've heard from firsthand from people. Right, because he was getting people to sell their homes and come live on campus, which... There was not room in South Berwick for all of that. And I'm sure the people of South Berwick were not pleased. Um, but he also had started a Southern Maine Christian school that was kindergarten through grade 12. Um, he started at the South Berwick campus, but there just wasn't room. So he moved it to Scarborough. Mm -hmm. So students were bussed from South Berwick to Scarborough every day, back and forth. Which is about a half hour ride without major traffic. And the enrollment at the time in 1973 was 245 students, which is not a small amount of children. That's a lot of children to be busing to Scarborough. That's a lot of families to try to house, along with all the single people that lived on that campus as well, and the college students. Right. And actually, our next episode, uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more, but people were like, people were packed in these apartments. An apartment that was ours, that fit, um, well, what was it, four girls and two parents, was actually segmented into smaller pieces and fit multiple families. So like, <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's 73. I couldn't find anything specifically about 1974. No, there really isn't a lot of specific information that way. Well, I think he was just kind of like... They just did their thing. Building up. Yeah, just like doing his thing, getting people to give him money, being who he was. You know? This was also where they started their bus ministry, was in South Berwick. Yes, it was. So bus ministry was, I believe they 
may have purchased the buses at the time. I think for a little while they owned the buses. And then along the way, I think they ended up having to sell them later down the road. Mm -hmm. But they, they purchased old buses and they would go out to neighboring communities, um, a lot of times into lower income sections. Mm -hmm. And they would offer to take these kids to Sunday school. They would bus them in and then they would bring them home. And granted, it was fun. Like I actually used to be on the bus. I worked on a couple different bus teams in a couple different cities. And I'm going to be honest, I really enjoyed it. And a lot of the kids, I think, really enjoyed it because I will say for a lot of them, it was a break from their norm. Oh, for sure. Um, and it was a needed break from their norm. So I, I wouldn't say that it was a bad thing in and of itself. I don't know that I totally believe that the intent was not Honestly, to, <laughs> to bring in more people to bring in more money. I, I do think that was probably Carl's intent. But with all things, you can have people that do things that they their intent may not have been good, but there are good things that come out of it. Well, I don't think it's all money. I do think he was very financially motivated. But also, when you have more people, because these were low-income people, the more people you have, the more legit you look. Mm -hmm. That too. Um, so I think it was kind of like a twofer. Like, he wanted as many people as he could. And he wanted to save people for Jesus. I'm sure that was part of it. But, like, I don't think that was all of it. Well, and South Berwick is a small town. Like, it, it is a small community. You're not going to get the kind of numbers he was looking for just in South Berwick. Well, the people of South Berwick were like, excuse me, sir. Please leave. <laughs> what? They were not pleased. I can't say, you know, there are a lot of smart people in this town. It's just all the same. Well, that, and if that happens now, like, if, Lita, can you imagine if all of a sudden... This big group of people bought that old building and just started like making the church. We'd be we'd be so confused. The town Facebook group would blow up. <laughs> oh my god, the town <laughs> Facebook group would explode. You know, small towns. I mean, we have our own Facebook group, and it is already a shit. It's wild, people. It's already a mess. <laughs> it's not. But if that were to happen, oh my lord. Yeah, I think people would would probably lose their minds. Yeah. To be honest with you, especially where he wasn't coming in very quietly. Like no, there. You know, as soon as people started looking him up and started seeing the arson and all that stuff, I'm sure they were getting a little sketched out. Because even though we didn't have the internet, they didn't have the internet. I say we, like I was there. <laughs> they didn't have the internet back then. There were ways of finding things out, and there were definitely, definitely newspaper articles about out about him that probably were fairly easy to locate. <laughs> and, like, the main source of information was probably word of mouth, which, you know how things can get twisted, word of mouth, I'm sure it got inflated even bigger than it was. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure. That is true. That does happen. That totally does. Happen. And Carl was weird. Carl was weird. Like, I don't, I would, ugh. Ooh. Well, and I think the thing that was probably the most off-putting, to be really honest with you, is the us versus them mentality. Oh, yeah. In that we have it all right, we have it all together, and the rest of you are either your lost sheep or your carnal sinners, and you don't know what we know. Like, it was always, when we would, when we would engage with our community, it was always with the intent of getting them to see that we were right. Oh, yes. No, and no, that we had the corner on, on the gospel and that we wanted other people to have what we had. <laughs> it was very rarely or never just simply engaging with the community for the sake of engaging with the community. There was always a motive behind it. I think the people that were there were, were being altruistic and like genuine. I think the person who was getting them to do that, Carl wasn't mm -hmm. like i think that the people genuinely thought they were doing the right thing 
or you wouldn't have people following you. Like people don't. Well, that's true. Join because it sucks. They, they join because they. And it is easy for me to say that in hindsight. Right. You know what I mean? It's like that uh, slow boiling pot with the frog in it. You just really don't realize <laughs> what you're getting into. You don't. Yeah. Uh, and if you do realize, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Most of the time. A lot of the time. And I will say there are there are genuinely good people. There were then and there are now. Oh, yeah. Very genuinely good people who are very loving and very kind. Oh, there always are. Yeah, we've talked about this. You don't have to be um, like a sourpuss or a bad person to be part of a cult. Usually it's the opposite. That's so true. They prey on your happiness and goodness. That's so true. Yeah, they're going to seek out people that are trusting and good. And that want to do good in the world. Right. They're not going to seek out, like, miserable cows. Well, they found a few, but... <laughs> That's an inside joke for us, guys. There's a great Lost episode where we recorded and then didn't save. And I had a moment where I called uh, some something... I think I was calling people miserable cows because they were just, like, grumpy. But Alita lost her mind. It was very, very funny. But the episode's gone. Sadly, it's no more But now I just throw it in there once in a while. <laughs> I mean, we knew a few. We did know a few of those too. Look <laughs> at Yeah, we do. Oh, we still do. Okay. But anyway, seventy four is a bit of a wash. We couldn't find a lot, but in seventy five, I do have quite a bit of information to go over. Okay. Uh, so, in seventy five, the first graduation from Stephen School of Bible took place, and that notably included Tom Schaller, who became a pretty large figure in the church and is now actually the presiding elder and pastor of greater grace according to ggwo it was a unanimous vote we'll get there unanimous in quotation marks <laughs> yeah mm. yep so anyways this next little section is from that uh christian research institute report that i mentioned it names names but this report is uh publicly available so i'm just going to read it um it's out there it's out there. Um, so, Stevens frequently contrasted himself with Moses, intimating that those who criticize him might suffer a similar judgment to that which Miriam suffered for criticizing Moses. However, the analogy breaks down when we contrast the response of Moses to his critics with that of Stevens to his. When Miriam was inflicted, inflicted with leprosy, we read that Moses, who was very humble, quotations, cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. On the other hand, former leaders Bob, um, you know what, I'm not going to say their last names, Bob, Steve, and Ed, all testify that they were present in Stephen's office at South Berwick in 1975, when Stevens led a group of about 20 people in solemn prayer to commit a man named Ed Shute to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Shute had been guilty of none of the offenses listed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 as ground for such drastic action. He had simply been outspokenly critical of Stevens' teaching and ministry. Whoa. So, time out. Yes. Yes. We're going to talk about this. So, this is time out. This time in South Berwick, I think, is really when Carl started to, like, let power get to his head and kind of go off his rocker. Like, what? You did what? I am trying to find the words. Oh, yeah to say to that well this is just like this is a little baby bite this this just expands he keeps doing this crazy stuff and actually there's a little he he had them pray to commit a person to satan yeah in a small office 20 guys so yeah yeah it's true if you're still alive i'm real sorry and i hope you're doing okay we don't want you to go to satan that is that's that's horrific oh uh, yeah no uh, his his sin was being critical of stevens so you know that's great because stevens never did any worse than that 
So that's a thing. I'm still like, I wish you guys could see the video. Like my mouth is trying to make words and they're just not coming. It's crazy. Because I don't know what to say to that right now. It keeps going. Hold on. In the tape message, Presumption versus Speaking to the Rock, Carl Stevens said, If you have a close friend that evaluates anybody in delegated authority, I guarantee you that if it's done with any consistency, you'll be weak and sick and die in the future months. Don't you say a sentence, not a sentence, not a line. Don't presume or you'll die in the future months. And I actually put that in our intro. That's where that's from. And he preached that in South Berwick. He was really starting to... Yeah, it's a taped message that he that he preached in South Berwick. And while we're on that topic, they also started their printing press in South Berwick. And again, a whole other podcast, but I'm starting to catalog some of those old booklets and doctrine booklets and whatnot, because even though they are technically out of print, there are some wonderful human beings out there who have their hands on them that have sent them to us. They, they don't know us personally, but we're their best friends now. Yeah. And just in cataloging them they're legitimately like there's they're stamped with the printing press from south berwick they're stamped with that printing press loco so it it verifiably happened there there's one like in particular about schizophrenia redefining schizophrenia that i just i got three sentences in and i had to close it because yeah i couldn't believe what my eyeballs were looking at it was awful well i think that's the danger of letting any one person think they can say whatever they want and that it's fine well because they all this is the thing I don't understand, and I don't mean to criticize anybody because, like we've, we've mentioned many times before, there are wonderful, well-meaning people, many, 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 who were deceived by him. But I don't understand how you don't question the whole every message he preaches is going to be anointed thing because at the end of the day, he is still a human and he is still infallible. You mean fallible? You mean fallible. Oh, fallible. Sorry, fallible. He's no, he's not. Alita. You've been drinking the Kool-Aid. Still fallible. Sorry. He thinks he's infallible. Sorry, I said that the wrong way. <laughs> yes. He thinks he's infallible, but he is still fallible. He's still human, just like the rest of us. And I guess that's what I have trouble with. Like how how anyone could think that a human being who is just as human as the next guy couldn't possibly ever make a mistake at anything he says. Well, I think that's going to be the overarching theme of, of the Southburg ministry, because I think it didn't start that way. I think he love-bombed the crap out of people, mm-hmm. fed their egos, he fed their fears about hell, and then he slowly built it up to a point where people were afraid of him. And actually, the next quote that I was going to bring up, which is from the Cult Education Institute, goes as follows. It seems that many people who have attended GGWO have been paralyzed in the area of critical thinking when it comes to the church, wrote Chris Brown of Parkville, who joined Stephen's ministry in 1975 in Maine and quit a year and a half ago. I remember the difficult time I had just thinking certain thoughts that were forbidden because they didn't go along with the church. We had been taught not to question anything, not to think, and to receive everything from the pulpit as from God. So he really took his time and broke these people down to the point where they weren't critically thinking anymore you don't question if you're not thinking i think the other thing that he did very very well was he built a sense of community Mm -hmm. because if you look at the stories of a lot of people who came to the church not everybody but there are quite a few out there people who came from broken places in their lives and he did build that community very very well 
like you said, with the love bombing, where people had a sense of identity that they didn't have before. They had a sense of belonging that they didn't have before. And then you couple that with, we are out to do good for humanity. We are, we have the inside scoop and we want people to come with us. I think that does set the stage for people to kind of blindly follow because, you know, when you're in broken places, you can be so desperate for that sense of belonging and community that it's easier to overlook some of the glaring things that later on you're like, oh, how did I not see that? Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. It does. Yeah. The historical context, I think, is also really important here. Um, obviously, in the 60s, you had like hippies. So there's this whole freedom movement going on. But in 69, the Manson family had killed nine people. Their trial was in 71. And at the same time, Jim Jones became prominent in the 70s. So there's this idea of these cults that are like scary demon cults, Manson especially. And Carl had this very like, he had this very like free, loud, boisterous, but also kind of in that like hippie movement of like kind of chill and weird. <laughs> I don't know how to really to explain it, but from everything we've seen, he was like, I'm so accepting. Everyone's welcome. Everything's cool here. Let's all be loud and sing together. And like, it really appealed to people. And for them, it wasn't a cult because the cult was like the Mansons. So obviously this wasn't a cult. You know what I mean? And at the same time, you also had in the 70s, I think it was more toward the mid to late 70s, but you also had the Jesus Revolution happening in the 70s as well exactly super into jesus but not into the scary stuff so for them what carl was offering was like fun exciting and different that's true it wasn't the stuffy church of your grandparents like it was different and at the time probably too people were looking for direction i'm sure when you talk about that time frame too it seemed very loosey-goosey i guess yeah. in a lot of ways and i think some i think people were looking for somebody to point them in a direction tell them what to do and tell them where to go because they were having trouble maybe finding their way well and a lot of his followers initially were were decently young like i'd say 20s and 30s and something about that age especially if you've grown up very religious like a lot of people did in that time they grew up being told what to do and as much as they don't want that anymore you also kind of do like you find comfort in being told how to think and feel and even if uh -huh. you don't realize it's happening that like assuages something in your soul like you feel better because someone's telling you like oh this thing this thing and you're just like yeah uh -huh. perfect great so uh, he i don't think he would have been as prolific as he was now that's true his time period made a big difference I think the time period, the context, and also the fact that there wasn't something like the internet where people could communicate a lot more quickly and a lot more freely right. with each other with the things that they thought were wrong. Because back then, really all you had was your telephone or to actually physically talk to people. Yes. And that mentality from the get-go was you didn't question God's man, and so you just didn't. Those conversations didn't happen as freely as they would today. Yeah, the internet was really his downfall. <laughs> Part of it. The internet and, you know, crime are committed. But whatever, that's nothing, right? Um, so anyway, that's 75. That's what I have for 75. Uh, in 76, I found a very interesting thing that happened. Um, and it took some, some, like, clever math to put it in the right place. I think what actually happened was in 75. But uh, I'm going to read an article from the Berkshire Eagle. And the title of this article is... Former Bible Speaks official convicted on assault charges. So, a former supervisor of the Bible Speaks Christian Day School in Scarborough 
was convicted here Friday of two counts of aggravated assault and battery in connection with the beating of two teenage students, according to the United Press International. The Bible Speaks, which has moved its international headquarters and college from South Berwick, Maine, to the former Bordentown Lennox School property in Lennox, Mass. So they had moved to Lennox at this point, but the article is about the year prior. And also purchased the former Lexia School in Lee, Mass., has operated the Southern Maine Christian School in Scarborough for two years. Charles E. Gray III, 25, a former supervisor of the Southern Maine Christian School, received a six-month suspended sentence in Cumberland County Jail and was placed on one year's probation. According to UPI, Superior Court Justice William E. McCarthy dismissed a charge of conspiracy to commit aggravated assault and battery against Francis Scheip, a dormitory supervisor who was present during the beatings. So, I don't know if you caught that, but... They were, like, conspiring to do this to these kids. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just the one guy. It was more than one guy, and I'm sure there were more that got away with it entirely. Uh, Gray was charged with beating a young couple with a stick last January 17th. So that's got to be January 17th, 1975, because the article came out in 76. Okay. After they were found spending the night together in an empty cottage on the school grounds, which, ballsy. (laughs) Whoa. But they got beat for it, so great. Uh, The couple received medical treatment for severe bruises in the case against Gray concerned the severity and intent of the punishment. Gray is now unemployed and living in Massachusetts, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's interesting. That happened in 75. They went to trial in 76. This article was written in 76. Carl left South Berwick in 76. So there's there's not a lot of space. They have a lot of people there. and then this assault happens, and I, I just think it's interesting that right after this assault happens and it becomes like a thing, Carl leaves. This becomes a theme for Carl. It does. Like, I hadn't, I had never heard of that before, and it took a lot of digging. But this article, man, I, once I put the math together, I was like, holy crap, this happened right before he left. Every single big move that they have had has followed by a massive controversy. A, what would be considered at the time, a major event. Yes. In Woolwich, it was the arson because he was apparently, allegedly, sleeping with people's wives. In South Berwick, it was this this beating case where apparently there was conspiracy charges that got dropped. And there, that doesn't surprise me at all. That doesn't surprise me at all to hear. I mean, the church has never been interested in pursuing law enforcement cases against people who do things that are wrong because they care. Like, like we've talked about many, 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 many times before. No. The image is everything. The image is everything, and it they don't care who it costs. It, they're very they're mm-hmm. very similar to Scientology that way. Oh yeah, like they don't come out and say it as a policy the way that Scientology does. It's not necessarily like a written policy that you don't. Yes. However, it was very much discouraged, very much frowned upon, and they just they didn't want that kind of attention. No, because it, it would it would definitely break the ice on the appearance. It's funny that you mentioned Scientology, and we'll we'll cover this at a later date. I know I say that all the time, but there's just so much here. I did find in all of my research a link between Scientology and GGWO. Mm-hmm. So there's a little teaser for you for the future. There's a couple out there. I thought it was very interesting. So that's all that I have for like hard and fast dates. But I do have quite a bit of information that I didn't have dates for. So the Wikipedia, which you know, take it as you will, Green said the following. This is pretty pretty tame, but... Expanded radio and television outreaches continue to draw in new followers and, both through church planting operations by the organization's Bible school students and graduates and existing churches affiliated themselves with Stevens' organization, 
a network of branch ministries began to develop. So during this time period, he was starting to branch out. He really starts to like stick his fingers out and spread Uh when he's in South Berwick. So that's kind of the beginning of all of that happening. People who were with Stevens in the beginning of his ministry say that it was in South Berwick mainly his emphasis on authority became especially heavy. He read Watchman Nee's Spiritual Authority, and using the book as a basis, though not remaining especially faithful to all of its principles, he developed his own popular doctrine of delegated authority. There's nothing necessarily unbiblical about the concept of delegated authority per se. So when the report came out, this is from the Christian Research Institute report, when that report came out, they really they didn't they couldn't say anything about that because there's nothing specifically unbiblical about it. But they were like a little dubious about it. I think they were dubious about the way that he right. employed it. Uh, he also absorbed some ideas promoted by RB theme in the Berica. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Uh, church in Houston, Texas. So he's like, it's not surprising to any of us pulling things from other places to make his teachings. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if South Park had been a thing back then? Oh my God. Him getting up and going, you don't question my authority. That is a cursed thing you just said. That's going to live in my head forever. Oh no. But it's kind of funny when you think about it. (laughs) Don't you question my authority. (laughs) Okay, Cartman. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> but I do think it's it, it kind of reinforces what we talked about last time where he is not exactly original. No. <laughs> he's, he's very good at stealing things and making them his own. Allegedly. Oh, this is in that report, so allege that. Yeah. Uh, in the mid-70s, so this is like 73 to 76 period, much of Stephen's teaching was directed toward establishing as biblical fact the premise that all Christians should be submitted to a special man of God or God's man, who as Christ's delegated authority is given special vision to lead Lord's people into the fullness of his plan. Though Stephen's estimation of his own importance during this period is not eminently clear, a former leader observes, at one time, most of us in South Berwick thought that all Christians would submit to Stephen's. Accompanying the conviction the leader was superior to other leaders in New England was the belief that the Bible Speaks was the most important dynamic ministry around. So we're really starting to, like, set ourselves apart as the authority on everything. Right. We're special. We're better. God speaks through me. Everyone else sucks. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, Harl. <sighs> uh, though not generally out of any premeditated designs, TBS members often caused fractures in local churches because of their conviction that Christians outside of their ministry were missing out on God's best. That is legitimately true. Yes. I remember growing up... <laughs> This was so interesting because later on they'd become flummoxed by it. But like a lot of the churches around didn't really want anything to do with ours. And they're, for a small town, we've got several churches. You definitely have options in this town. Oh, yes. Um, but none of them really wanted anything to do with us by and large. I wonder why. In fact, even when the Christian school ended up renting the property and it was not affiliated with our church, but there, there was some question marks at first people were real skittish that they were renting that property from us because they didn't want any tanglements or anybody thinking that the two belong together to clarify this is a completely different christian school that came later this is not the one that we had in art row yeah and it, and it had nothing to do it had nothing to do with the bible speaks other than it rented the space space from the bible speaks right 
and a bunch of us kids from the Bible Speaks actually went to school there. Yeah, but great. in terms of like the leadership of the school, the mission of the school, the people that were putting school together, those two things were very separate things. Oh, and they made sure to talk about it, and they did. But later on down the road, I remember like when I think when I was a teenager, them trying to coordinate with other, other churches, and they were successful with one or two eventually as they kind of separated themselves from Greater Grace. But they they seemed a little flummoxed as to why people wouldn't want to to have any ties to us. But I could understand that because our whole thing was we knew more than you. We were better than you. We, you know, we had the corner on the true doctrine and greater grace and these other poor churches. You know, they mean well, bless their hearts, but they don't know what we know. Well, just think about any time you ever met somebody that acts like they're better than you. Do you want to be their friend? Probably not. It's that simple. When you act like that, nobody wants to be around you. Even if you're right. <laughs> Even if you're right. Yeah, like, get out of here. Yeah, it's annoying. Anyways, yeah, the, everything kind of spiraled. But um, this is also from the CRI report. Marty O'Brien, formerly the pastor of a large TBS church in Auburn, Maine, confessed, In the early days when we found groups that were searching for life, we gave them this unity, oneness, part of the body thing, the community you were talking about. We were actually inducing people to be part of our organization, though I didn't see it at the time. So even the people that were there, like, oh, wait, we weren't just finding, like, unity. We were pulling people in. Uh Any effort to determine what had contributed to the problems that have beset the Bible Speaks should not overlook a situational ethic that has spread throughout much, though not all, of the ministry. In the taped message, Wisdom is Justified of Her Children, Carl Stevens told his followers, Wisdom, she's always justified. Whatever she does, she's justified. Does that mean that the end justifies the means? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. However, I may say this. It's possible for the end to justify the means, but the end doesn't always justify the means, but it's possible for it to. Sir, what are you saying? What? Do you hear yourself? That's one of the most contradictory things I think I've heard in a long time. It's so convoluted and like it doesn't make any sense. Let me let me slowly like make it make sense for you guys to let me get away with what I'm doing, but also don't but don't do those things. Hey, you know you know what though? People were so trained at that point that like if you didn't understand it, I remember like I, I guess I can only speak for myself, but when when things like that would be said, and I didn't understand it, like it didn't make sense to me. My reasoning was, oh, well, you know, he's a man of God. He's more learned. God is showing him things. And clearly I'm not spiritual enough to get it. You know what I mean? Like you would doubt yourself before you would doubt him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, he he, he was a sneaky snick. Yeah. I get so mad when people say stuff like that because it's, it's convoluted and it's wrong and it's so irritating. Mm-hmm. The confusion of what they're saying is like, wait. What? What did you just say? I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I'm not like dumb. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I I have working brain cells, and I'm still like, wait, what? Sir? Yeah. Like, huh? Huh? Yeah. But anyways, uh, Stephen makes it clear that the concept of leadership he's presenting is not merely incidental to the Christian life. You'll never be filled or full apart from God's man, he said. And to the Christian who responds. I don't want to follow a man, I want to follow Jesus. Stevens replies, I've got news for you, that can't be done, thus saith the Lord. I got news for Carl, it absolutely can. How? Like, as much as it makes sense that he brainwashed people and they weren't thinking anymore, 
You can't get more clear than that. You really can't. And, and you know, this is where I could totally get on board with this being a personality cult is, is, is statements like that. Because mm-hmm. we went from like convoluted and crazy to we went from following God to following a man in that statement. Like, like that can't be done. Thus saith the Lord, sir. I disagree. Wholeheartedly disagree. Hello? <laughs> Do you hear yourself? I think he does. That's the thing. He does hear himself. And he, I think I'm he, sure he, he knew what he was saying and he yeah. knew what he was doing. I think he loved it. Yeah. So in the tape following a man or God, Stevens develops an elaborate theology, apparently calculated to suppress criticisms of his ministry that were being voiced by some of his former followers. Sorry, Ed shoot. He teaches that to receive the provision and protection of the word of God, one needs to receive it meekly. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I hate this kind of thing in every cult. Oh, okay, anyway, sorry. Um, he then defines meekness as transferring your rights. Among the rights that must be given up is the right to the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge is what Adam ate of. And our Adam, carnal nature, seeks knowledge as a pretext for rebelling against authority. So now I know why they were also not keen with me asking questions. Apparently, knowledge is the pretext for rebelling against authority. Maybe because when you gain knowledge, you realize these people are full of crap. I think, yeah, I think it sounds like he was terrified of people asking questions and starting to pull the strings and figure things out because... And thinking critically. That would be that would be his undoing, which eventually it was his undoing. Or sure was. Mm. All right. So continuing on, Stephen exhorts his congregation to not lean to your own understanding, which he associates with self-life. I remember that term, but I'd forgotten about it for a long time. I had to know. But rather to come under the authority of God's word, man, body, and Jesus Christ. He insists it's not possible to follow Jesus alone. Otherwise, they will be double-minded, will not receive the word of God in meekness, and thus will not be blessed. What? Oh, yeah. And actually, it's funny because there's that whole, like, Jesus Christ, God, Holy Spirit thing, which I always thought was kind of odd how they're, like, three different people in one. But that kind of follows that same logic of, like, you can't just follow Jesus. It almost makes it sound like he set himself up as the fourth member of the Trinity. Like, that's like that was his oh, no. thought process. I think he was saying the Holy Spirit was in him. Or that, well, I think he's the third one. The Holy Spirit is in everybody who believes, according to scripture. Not according to Carl. I don't think he necessarily, I don't think it was that he, the Holy Spirit was in him alone. I think he literally was equating himself on the same level as the Holy Spirit. Yeah, either way. Either way, it's the same kind of concept where like he's just putting himself in this bracket that you can't get to. And so you have to listen to everything I say and you can't question it because I'm God. This is what I meant at the top of our episode when yep. I say South Berwick, it was extremely pivotal. Mm-hmm. I feel it was where a lot of the ideas and the ministries that they still employ, yep. where those came from and where mm-hmm. those were born out of, but also a lot of the doctrines that set up this blind belief and following in Carl really started to make themselves known as well. And he really started to build on that. And I just, that's where I find it so fascinating that so much of where a lot of this came from really, really blossomed here in South Berwick. And yet in the context, if you look at the amount of information there is available on all four of these major sites, it's got the least amount of information available by far. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's on purpose. And read, and read his book. I do think it's interesting that this is where they start to record his sermons mm-hmm. because every word God says, Carl, sorry, Carl says, <laughs> every word Carl says, not God, is uh, sacred. But these tapes are his undoing. Yeah, they are. The fact that you hear this stuff, and when I'm reading them, I'm reading them as me, Karen, regular person. Half the time, he's screaming this stuff. That is true. You hear it in the um, in the intro. You can hear him. That's how he preached. That is true. And he'd go back to this like mild mannered, soft little thing every once in a while to make sure people felt safe again. And then he'd start screaming again. Yeah, the fear was a big a big component of how he got people to comply and to not question. I gotta say, it's really good that we're not doing this in a live, like, YouTube forum, because if people could see my face half the time, they probably wouldn't like me anymore. I am very expressive, and I'm very grossed out. I don't like it. No, I don't either. I And I, I have to say it again, because I just feel like I do. It's a whole lot easier for us sitting here in 2023, in hindsight, to look at this and go, holy cow than it would have been back in 1973. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. It's very different. You know, and I just don't want, I, I say that because I don't want anybody who came from that time era, who came up through there, to feel badly for believing what they believe. No. I mean, we've said it, I'll double say it. People that get sucked into this are usually very good people. Right. And it was, you're not a bad person who got sucked in. Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, you, you're always going to get a few baddies. There's always there. No matter what organization you're in, there's always going to be a few baddies in there. And they usually end up being fast. But by and large, in any kind of cult or high-demand religion, a lot of the people who join, join with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And they're wonderful, lovely people who are helpful and caring and kind. I just don't want anybody from that era listening to get the idea that we're being critical or judgmental about them. No, no, no. For believing what they believed at the time, because no. nothing could be further from the truth. No, you were being lied to in the sneakiest way possible. Mm-hmm. And you had, like I was saying about my mom last episode, there's no resources for you to figure this stuff out. Right. That just didn't exist. And you're surrounded, especially once you get in it and like you sold your house, you live on campus, you're surrounded by people that are in this echo chamber with you and all you're hearing is this same crap over and over again. Of course, you're going to believe it. Everything around you is inundated in it. Right. You're immersed. You are 100% immersed in it. You're underwater now. Mm-hmm. You don't have a floaty. You're drowning. Right. And somebody's handing, if somebody is handing you a life raft, you're basically being told that life raft is on fire. The life raft is from Satan and you're going to go to hell if you touch it. Yeah. Like... <laughs> That's the dynamic he set up. Yeah. Ugh. Carl. That's becoming like my new swear word. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't bleep that one out. Oh, Carl. Oh, Carl. <laughs> Carl. Can't hands. Yeah. Anyways, um, so <sighs> Carl went on to say, and this is a quote, you say, is anyone supposed to take God's place? You just bet God has ordained his servant to be in his place, using his mouth, because he works through men revealing himself. What if they get off? Which means, like, deviate from sound doctrine and practice. You can be sure, as long as they're around, God likes them. He's straight up saying, I can take God's place because he said I could. And his words are my words, and my words are his words. No. Carl. <laughs> uh, the CRI report goes on to say that it would be easy to infer what this kind of teaching could lead to, but Stevens saves us the trouble by spelling it out himself. He says, for example, 
If I said tonight that the ministry here in South Berwick needs $30,000, I want six of you to raise it, that, I've, that have got it, to bring it in and lay it at our feet. I want you to do it. You shouldn't even have to pray about that. I am here in Jesus Christ's place. Okay. Time out. Time out. South Berwick is, at least back then, and it's really kind of sort of changed now, but you aren't talking about a super wealthy community, for by and large. Well, there's always a few. By and large. There are a few, but let's be real. Most of the really wealthy people in this town stayed far, far away from that church. So you're not... I don't think it's an accident that he said six, specifically. You're not talking about a place that, like, you're not talking Greenwich, Connecticut, okay? You're not talking about a place that is known for being super wealthy, okay? Right. That's a huge ask, first of all. And secondly, that is so presumptuous right? that just because somebody has money that they should give it. And third, statements like that are why he lost the case in Lennox. Oh, we'll get there. That's a that's a later date. But <laughs> yeah, the fact that he says, though, from the pulpit in front of everyone, I want six of you to raise it that have got it. Yeah, we... I think he specifically meant six different people and he knew that they knew what he was talking about. I think so, too. That was very oddly specific. Like, sir, the, why don't you just say their names, too? Might as well. Yeah. Call them out. <laughs> just have them come up and write the check. Like, you might as well. He just got real brazen in his time there, and it's like... People in the audience probably knew who he was talking about, too. Oh, I'm sure. And everybody there, like, in that kind of an environment talks. So I'm sure everyone knew. Well, and even, like, later on down the road when he wasn't there, the pastor that was pastoring the church later on like he would preach about specific things and people in the church knew what he was talking about and who specifically he was talking about yeah like they're not exactly subtle <laughs> he also in all of this time had created like a counseling ministry within the church for people with drug and alcohol problems which there are some stories online you can find of like times where those people really needed like medical attention <laughs> and didn't get it and instead like literally beat the crap out of people at the church uh -huh. like there's multiple stories out there of of people that really needed uh mental health help we've talked about it before and should not have been living on that property no with the mixed with the mixed variety of people like the young families the college students yep you know especially with kids on the property absolutely should not have been living on that property for any reason well, and this is alleged because I could only find like secondhand stories of this, but it sounds like he would like families would bring their troubled children to him mm -hmm. and pay him to keep them. There are multiple stories out there about that. Yep. And so I'm like, well, how much did they pay? Because he's just getting all this money. People are selling their houses. People are sending their, tr their troubled children. People are paying to live there. I mean, everything is there. All the money's going to Carl. And all these people, particularly the kids, are being put at risk. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a theme that moves on and on. It's actually really surprising to me the more I read about the things that went on at that property and the people that were there in the early 70s, that they did not have some kind of mass incident mm -hmm. where people were, were injured or hurt on a mass or on a bigger scale. I think about that a lot, and it, it will come into play more in Lennox, but I think that the... the uh, outward community at large expected it to happen. Like, people thought that Jonestown happened right after Lennox. Or, like, during Lennox. I think people genuinely thought that that was going to happen 
there. And Lennox? Oh, I'm sure they probably did. And they're not surprised by that at all because these people were nuts. I'm like, <laughs> it makes me wonder when he when he moved to Lennox, what happened to these people that he was being paid to quote unquote take care of? Did they were those people moved to Lennox too, or did they stay in South Berwick unsupervised? I mean, not that they were not that they were very well supervised, apparently <sighs> right. when he was there, but. I did even less so after he left. I can't recall exactly, but I think I remember hearing one story where um, one of the people who it was a very unhinged woman uh, ended up getting arrested. So I'm sure that happened more than once. I mean, she was like hurting people. Yeah. And I'm sure he probably had some of them committed or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or their families I don't... maybe realized the situation and had them taken out. I would hope. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I really, there's not a whole lot available about that specifically. I do think it's um, truly disgusting that he was writing pamphlets on schizophrenia and taking in people that needed real, real help and pretending like he could, like he, he had to have known. Well, and he was not a licensed psychologist to my knowledge. He had no training. He wasn't licensed anything. In psychology or therapy, he, he interpreted what he wanted to out of scripture to make it sound like he had some kind of authority over this situation but he himself had no business commenting quite frankly on mental health conditions at all no no i think he saw an opportunity to get money he took it i can't hide my disdain for this person he is a conundrum but he's also filthy he he, he ruined so many lives anyways i'll stop yeah pitching. probably should <laughs> so mad anyways um another article i found said that residents including the clergymen at the church were completely at a loss to explain the growth of the south Berwick campus and the bible speaks in general mm-hmm. particularly the apparent as- absence of a strong financial base which we kind of discussed yeah i that that really that's one thing that really throws me yeah and the bible speaks about this book called book of miracles which is a bunch of garbage but which interestingly enough too is they took they themselves took out of print i know i know i wonder why um but in there there's a quote that says sometimes supernatural gifts were given after prayer but most of the time hard work sacrifice and good stewardship of each body member have paid our bills supernatural gifts Mm-hmm. huh dude I, I, so at some point along the way, we, we, it is established fact that Carl had to take painkillers for a back problem and got evicted. I want to know when that was, because this is some unhinged stuff. Yeah, I don't know. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Anybody who was there, if you know when he started taking drugs, can you tell me? Because I'm so curious. What? Supernatural gifts. That's not a word you hear very often in Christian cults, Christian religions in general. Supernatural? Yeah. That kind of, that is an interesting choice of words. And they printed it. It wasn't like someone just said it offhand. They put it in writing. Someone else said, our needs have always been provided. It's just a matter of how the Lord feels, which, okay. Sounds like it's a matter of what Stephen says to do from the pulpit. So I have some interesting information. You know, we're talking about the people that live there and the number of people and the the fact that there were people there that probably shouldn't have been there because of the lack of supervision and the lack of trained um, qualification to care for them. Right. Um, this is out there. This person put their story online. They put their name to it. So please understand that I'm reading from their perspective and I cannot totally vouch for whether or not it is all 100% accurate. 
but they have put out there with their name on it, not anonymously, um, that there were no rules. There was not a time to go to bed or be back in the building. There were no, this surprises me. There were no separated restrooms or showers, which really surprises me. Given the whole purity culture, no touch love, don't, you know, thing that was starting to take place also back in the 70s in South Berwick. That surprises the heck out of me. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be like women at certain times and men at certain times. That's still weird. Well, I mean, they weren't, yeah, I don't even know. You know, so in, in, in other stories that we've heard from people, it kind of almost feels like South Berwick was almost, for as strict as he was, the, for the people living at the property, it was almost like a lawless community. <laughs> like, it's kind of this interesting contradiction <laughs> of, you know, a pastor who's telling you how to live and telling you how to be and all this stuff. And yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of structure in place when it comes to the actual living situation that was happening. Well, I think Carl didn't care what you did as long as you were going to church and giving him money. Like South Berwick, there, there, as there was and still is a gazebo on the property. Yep. And in this story, I was talking about how that was the designated smoking area. I cannot believe for I, it really just blows my mind that he allowed any kind of smoking area on that campus at all. <laughs> the seventies, man, that had to have been why because they were the thing. People all did it. But the heat when we're talking about him calling people out. Oh, that's so funny. He says that Carl would often use that as fodder and pepper his sermons with references to the gazebo crowd. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I would have been part of the gazebo crowd. Let's all be real with ourselves. <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> and it was said, you know, you had to have guts to hang out the gazebo because you would get a name soon if you did. I love that. <laughs> Oh, my God, there's this funny story about how they, of course, you know, you were not encouraged to do anything that would be considered secular. And, of course, watching movies and listening to music was no exception. Um, But, you know, telling a story of how a group of them decided to go to Little Dover, New Hampshire, to the little movie theater to go to a movie. And they went and saw American Graffiti. And I have to laugh because that's kind of how it was for us, too. Like, no, you weren't. There were these things that you weren't allowed to do. But yet there would be like groups of us that would kind of like fly under the radar and go do them mainly because we wanted to see what the fest was about. Like we weren't even necessarily trying to be bad, per se, but we wanted to know what was so bad about it. You know, Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the fact that there were people there that probably that Carl, you know, they paid or not paid for Carl to take care of them, mm-hmm. but that they weren't qualified for. This is actually corroborated in what he posts. It might have been his story that I'm remembering, actually. He, there's a quote he says, I am quite sure that we were ill-equipped to handle the challenges some of these cases brought our way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one about a girl that was called Eileen, or he's calling Eileen in the story, that they came to know as the girl with demons. Oh, dear. She was caught in a compromising situation with one of the male students on a hill behind the college and had and was very unstable. And there's talk about one night after service, Carl summoned everyone present in the building to the cafeteria and she was there and her compromising situation was made known as she was surrounded by a variety of big men and spiritual people. First of all, can you even imagine? Nope. I'm thinking it right now. Like, even if, even, whether you're in your right mind or not, being surrounded by a bunch of big guys and spiritual people, like... Well, and those people... That would scare me. Even thinking about the people that were there when we were there, just thinking about the people that I know, that would still freak me right out. She wasn't initially from there, so she probably didn't know these people super well. Yeah. Oh. No. 
and that Carl gave a short speech about demon possession and began to address the demons resident in her. And there was coughing, crying, spewing, shouting, cursing. He began to call the demons their names and as he began to, quote unquote, discern them and command them to leave in the name of Jesus. Carl. The demons resident in her were challenged with their plans for some of us. There was lust and lying and a party spirit, and they were all commanded to depart. It was tiring and lasted until the early hours, and eventually they put a, they found a place for her at a, a team challenge farm in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, real quick. Did you say lust, lying, and a party spirit? Party. P-A-R-T-Y. Yep. Party? Party. I, I'm here for those demons. Lust, lying, and a party spirit. <sighs> Sign me up. All the, you know what really bothers me about this story? I'm just going to say it right now because ugh, it bothers me. She wasn't in that compromising position alone. How come she was the only one that was considered to be full of demons? And how come the guy wasn't there having demons cast out of him? Bingo. She's Eve. It's her fault. Like, seriously, in all seriousness, I'm not trying to be a jerk or a sexist or feminist or any kind of whatever. No. It takes two. So how come only one of them was there having being told that she had demons in her and basically undergoing Carl's version of an exorcism? Well, obviously, Alita, she was possessed by demons and she was tempting him. So it's her fault. <sighs> it can't possibly be her fault. It's her fault. Yeah, I can't. It just it just it bothers me so much. It should. It's stupid. It bothers me so much, you know, especially knowing that this is such a great place. Like, I hate that our town is tied to this at all. Mm -hmm. Because it really is a great place to be. God, can you imagine how people Lennox feel? Lennox is a tiny town in the Berkshires. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they feel the same way. Like, there, that was also kind of a kind. I mean, I think it was a little bit bigger than South Berk, but it was kind of the same thing, kind of a small town. It's way out in the Berkshires. It's surrounded by like nothing but mountains. So even the size of the town is one thing, but they're very isolated. Yeah. I'm sure that was wild. Yeah, it's really, like, I feel bad on And once, we'll get there, but once the FBI got involved, 60 Minutes came to interview people. That must have been, like, what? I know. Well, I, I think probably people who were in town that didn't want them there were probably happy to see 60 Minutes there, to be honest, because they were probably, like, ready for somebody to shine a light on this. Right. But still, it's kind of jarring to be a, in a place like that where nothing ever happens, and then all of a sudden this group's here with their airplanes and their people, and now 60 Minutes is here, and now the FBI's here, and, like, what's happening? Yeah. There, there is a really humorous story, though. Maybe we should end with this, just because I don't want to end on, like, a dark note. There is a humorous story here that, actually, I had found, and I reached out to this person because I really wanted to know how they did this. This is a story we teased back a while ago, I think. We did, and I really... So, you have to understand in reading this, like, we understand and we know exactly what and where they're talking about. Yes, we do. And what it looks like now. Yep. And so knowing what it looks like now, I'm just going to preface this. So this is going to involve a trail up the backside of the hill. So the property, you had the main part of the property that faced the main street. And then the back part of the property, you have the, it's flat through the parking lot. And then you have this hill that goes up because it's actually the other side of where the sledding hill, powder house hill is. Mm -hmm. So it goes up this hill and there's there's a street at the top of the hill on our side like this straight street and then on the other side of the street it goes back up 
you know, so it's like toward the top of the hill. So the street is kind of like a border. But it doesn't go all the way up the hill. It stops at a certain point. Well, the street runs parallel to the hill. So um, it runs parallel across the top of the hill. Um, and then beside the church, you had another street that went up the bottom part of the hill. So you have, there are a lot of trails up back there in the woods that still exist today. But the trail in question in this story today is very steep and it's very narrow and it can get very muddy. Oh, yeah. So you kind of have to understand this context to understand why this story was so interesting and funny to me. So they talking about, I, I think they were in a Yes, they were in a Jeep CJ5 and these two guys are in this Jeep. Okay. They drove all over South Berwick, Summersworth, Dover, gone for hours, had a blast doing their thing, okay? The guy driving the car happened to catch the attention of one of South Berwick's finest. <laughs> and before long, they were being followed with lights flashing. Um, so I'm just going to read this. because It's really funny. We started to slow down and the cop car started to pull over at the last second as the door of the cop car opened. So-and-so changed his mind and sped off. He headed up alongside the TBS property and turned right past Carl Stevens' house, which must be the house, Karen, that sits on the corner at the top of the hill there. I think it is. Um, so I ducked. The cop was just feet behind us. There was a rocky footpath going further up the hill behind Carl's house. It led to an underground water tank or something in open woods. As the cop closed in, Donnie made a left onto the footpath. This is still in the Jeep. Effortless headed up the hill in the Jeep. The cop attempted to follow, but became hopelessly hung up on the rocks. We drove over fields, down a fence, or down a fence or two, over logs and branches in four-wheel drive until something put a hole in the radiator. We left back into town, past the Civil War Monument, and parked behind the row of buildings across from TBS, where I thanked Donnie for the entertainment and got out. <laughs> and then, it's so funny. And then somebody else found out and told everybody how the police car got stuck on the hill. <laughs> so it's really funny because we could totally, I can totally picture this. They probably came down the backside of the hill down Powder House and turned left because that's where the monument would be. And then the, there was a row of buildings on across the street from the church and there is parking in behind those buildings. Um, that a lot of the shopkeepers used to park. So I can totally see this, but what I could not see was this Jeep going up this path. And so I actually connected with the person. I found them. <laughs> I connected with them. And I said, listen, I grew up there. I still live here. I hike those trails all the time. And for the life of me, I can't figure out how you got that Jeep up the hill. Like, can you help me out? I know exactly where it was. And apparently it was not, it was wider than. And it wasn't quite as mm -hmm. what it is now. Yeah, the school, the new other school that's there changed it a little bit, the landscaping. Yeah, but it's just like... Pretty funny. I love that in the midst of all these dark things that happened, that there are these things that happened that are just hilarious. Yeah, because life lives, man. You know, and I love the juxtaposition, you know, I don't love the juxtaposition, I guess, of dark and light per se, but... I do love that even though people had horrible memories and same for us, that they were also able to take away some good and fun memories as well. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to wrap it up though, Alita. I think that is a good way to wrap it up. And I do want to say in closing again, 
in fairness to the people in the town here, it is a wonderful place. And I'm so sorry that there are any ties at all to any kind of negative cult-like religion that happened here because it's not the norm. And I'm sure the people in Lennox would probably say the same thing. It's not the norm and it's not who we are as a town. I'm actually very proud to be part of this place. It's actually been very rewarding for me as an adult to actually participate and become part of my community than for no other ulterior motive other than I genuinely want to be a part of it. I genuinely want to be helpful. And I genuinely want to get to know people for who they are outside of the context of what I was taught to believe. I think that's a good takeaway that we've learned uh, especially recently talking to people because of this podcast where like we all kind of went through crappy situations but it seems like nearly all of us that we've talked to anyway have become really well-meaning people who only want what's best for their communities and for the world because of what we've been through mm-hmm. i think it's a really good thing that even though all of this happened and it's like crazy and horrifying it's uh it ended well because we learned yeah yep agreed So coming up, we've got a very exciting episode. I won't tell you more than that, but after this one, it's going to get, it's going to get fun. We we can't wait to share it with you. Like we can't. Yeah. And also the next history episode that comes out, uh, buckle up because this is where this train starts to derail from here on the trains off the tracks. This is where the crazy train really gets rolling. Like this was, this was setting up the station. And putting the train cars in place, and we're going to really start going down the tracks and off the rails on this one. Somebody attached rockets to the train wheels, and now we're flying. Like, it's it's going to get crazy. Um, so thank you for bearing with us through this, and thank you for listening in general. Uh, we love you guys. Share with your friends. And also, knowing when we're recording this and when we're releasing this, I just want to say from us to all of you that we hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, however you celebrate Yes, um, with your family and your friends. I gotta say, this is my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. Me too. It's just my favorite. So good feelings, happy vibes. We'll end it there because that's not much nicer than everything else we've said today. <laughs> Enjoy the holidays with your family and your loved ones. We appreciate all of you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.